listening to James's story, I think he would have welcomed that um, safety in being able to disclose to his GP or the psychologist. I think he had a card of someone for a number of years beforehand. I think it would have been a great comfort to him to know that he could make that disclosure and get the help that he needed. I'm Georgie Haysom. I'm the Head of Research, Education and Advocacy at Avant, Australia's largest doctor-owned medical insurance organisation. The voice you heard there was Caroline, an Avant lawyer. In part one of this series, we met James, who shared his story about a mandatory notification made against him. In this part, part two, Caroline and I discuss the process that can take place after a mandatory notification has been made and also the changes made to mandatory notification laws for treating practitioners in early 2020. These changes came after years of lobbying, including by Avant, for changes to overcome the fear of mandatory notification that has prevented practitioners from seeking help when they need it. So I'm very pleased to now be joined by Caroline Tui. She's one of our lawyers at Avant Law. She has worked for very many years looking after doctors in professional conduct matters. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Georgie. So I wanted to ask you firstly about mandatory reporting. Mandatory reporting has been around for quite a while. Um, It's been around in the national law since 2010, but there were some important changes that were recently made to the law. Can you talk us through some of those? Yes, so um, the recent amendments to the national law can be found under Part 8, um, Division 2, where it sets out the complete set of requirements for doctors to notify the board under certain circumstances. I think the really important change has been as a result of intense lobbying by the medical profession, and I'm pleased to say that's brought about amendments for mandatory notifications by treating practitioners about other doctors. So the biggest change is to give more guidance to doctors if they have a patient that they believe is suffering from an impairment. And an impairment is a defined term under the national law. And it talks about whether that impairment, which might be a mental health condition, it might be addiction, whether that places the public at substantial risk of harm. And I think under the changes to Caroline, there's now a list of factors that a treating practitioner can take into account when deciding whether or not to report someone. Can you talk us through those factors? Yeah, that's right. Um, So the factors are the nature, extent and severity of the impairment, the extent to which the second health practitioner or student is taking or is willing to take steps to manage the impairment, the extent to which the impairment can be managed with appropriate treatment, and any other matter the treating practitioner considers is relevant to the risk of harm the impairment poses to the public. I do have an example if that would be helpful. Um, A doctor recently called Avant with a patient who is also a health practitioner who did suffer from an impairment. It was a dependence on prescription medication. This doctor rang Avant and we went through that checklist and what we came out towards the end was because this patient had taken sick leave from their place of employment for three months, they had confided to their HR department the nature of their illness, they were agreed to inpatient detoxification program and showed tremendous insight and commitment to their treatment. 
The doctor was satisfied in those circumstances. There was no obligation to notify the board, and that's a position that I supported him on. The medical board's made it really clear that just because you've got an illness, you don't need to be reported. And I think that's a really important message that we need to get across. Yeah, that's right, um, Georgie. And I'd encourage our doctors to read the guidelines published by APRA in March 2020, which can be found on their website. And they do talk about that the circumstances for making a mandatory notification about impairment, intoxication or a departure from professional standards are more limited for treating practitioners and other groups of notifiers. And they do state that the threshold for reporting risk of harm to the public is higher to give practitioners confidence to seek help if they need it. So, Caroline, we're talking about treating practitioners' requirements to report primarily impairment of other health practitioners. There were some changes in relation to the sexual misconduct aspects of notifiable conduct. What were they? Yeah, that's right. Um, So the national law has made it clear that if a treating doctor in the course of providing a health service to another registered health practitioner, if he or she forms a reasonable belief that their patient, who's also a health practitioner, has engaged, is engaging, or is at risk of engaging in sexual misconduct in connection with the practice of their profession, they must, as soon as practicable after forming that reasonable belief, notify APRA of the conduct. And I think it's interesting to note, Georgie, that there are guidelines about forming that reasonable belief. So if they have a first-hand, I guess, admission from their patient that they've engaged in this sexual misconduct during their practice or in connection with their practice, one might say that's a that's a strong basis for forming a reasonable belief. Compare that to the situation where they're hearing second or third hand or someone heard it through someone else, through the receptionist, of possibly sexual misconduct. I wouldn't be as confident in advising a doctor that that is a basis for reasonable belief. So I would encourage the doctor again to speak with Avant and try and verify what they've heard with their patient. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I think the guidelines make it clear that you shouldn't be basing your reasonable belief on gossip or innuendo um, because that is not sufficient to form a reasonable belief. Yeah, that's right. And also the guidelines for mandatory notifications do set out a helpful flow chart for assessing whether there has been sexual misconduct between a practitioner and patient. So I would encourage doctors to refer to that as well. So in relation to impairment, Caroline, it's a really high threshold for a treating practitioner to report any of their other health practitioner patients under the mandatory reporting obligations now. That's right, Georgie. Um, The board's made it very clear through the amendments to the national law and these guidelines that the threshold for reporting um, is, is intentionally higher to give practitioners confidence to seek help if they need it. And it's really clear that there's a lot of evidence that the mandatory reporting obligations were a significant barrier to practitioners seeking help when they needed it. It's a great thing that the legislation has now been amended to give practitioners reassurance that if they go and seek help, that they take steps to look after themselves and to put steps in place so that they're not unsafe and that their patients are not unsafe, then they won't need to be reported to the medical board. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the decision-making flowchart in the guidelines um, very much supports um, if that was the scenario, then the board, um, frankly, doesn't want to hear about it. They want the practitioner to prioritise their health. If a practitioner is reported to the medical board because they have an impairment, what are the options that the board might have for that practitioner? In my experience, the board will conduct a risk assessment. Other options to the board are that they may invite the practitioner to provide an undertaking, not to practice until approved to do so by their treating doctors and the board. That would take place after the board had decided it was necessary to investigate the health impairment. In my experience, generally speaking, the APRA staff and the board are committed to supporting doctors prioritise their health. That seems to be the genuine intention. Even though the board's primary focus is on protecting the public safety, Okay, so that happens at one end of the spectrum. What can happen at the other end of the spectrum if the board is really concerned about the practitioner? So if that was the scenario and there was no evidence that the practitioner was prioritising their health and perhaps taking a break from practice and there was a significant risk to the public in the board's view, they do have the power to propose to take immediate action to impose some type of restriction on the doctor's practice. What does an immediate action hearing look like? If a doctor has been told that they need to show cause why action shouldn't be taken, what can they expect? What doctors can expect if they do receive notice of proposed immediate action is a really short turnaround between receiving that phone call or letter from APRA and the actual hearing before the committee. We usually have about five or seven days to prepare a response on behalf of the practitioner. What the actual hearing itself involves, you would walk into an office with the full board in front of you. So that can be 10, 12 people in a room where you're invited to make submissions whilst also being represented by a legal representative. I was going to ask you that. So you're able to have someone with you? Yes, you can. You can nominate for um, a lawyer to represent you and make submissions on your behalf but you should be prepared to speak to the board directly yourself because I guess it's understandable that the board wants to hear from the practitioner in their own words. Great. And so if a doctor does receive notice that there's a show cause hearing or that there's going to be an immediate action hearing, what is your recommendation, Caroline? Who should they call? I would advise the doctors. I understand it's very distressing and it's upsetting And what some doctors say to me is they feel a great deal of shame and embarrassment, and I can understand that, but I would encourage them to call Avant, tell us what is happening, and we will mobilise a team of claims managers, lawyers. If we think it's necessary, we will instruct a specialist advocate, a barrister on your behalf, to appear before the committee. Yeah, I think that would be really reassuring to practitioners. And I think one of the key points that we want to get out to you is that you should give us a call and that we are here to help you and support you through this process. So unlike James, you shouldn't have to go through this by yourself because it can be quite a daunting process. That's right, Georgie. And listening to James's story of him walking into the head office of APRA and sitting in a room by himself and then walking into the full board's office 
and looking around the table and recognising people he knew from university and feeling incredibly alone. I wouldn't want anyone else to go through that. And listening to James's story and him thinking that maybe this doesn't fall within his policy, I just always encourage doctors at least call their medical defence organisation and ask the question. More often than not, I think it would fall under their policy, but even if it doesn't, Avant have a number of networks for doctors that we can refer you to to get help and support. What are some of the outcomes of an immediate action hearing? So they can range from uh, suspension all the way um, on the range down to, say, accepting an undertaking that a doctor would only practice, say, between nine to five, or a doctor may agree to undertake drug and alcohol monitoring, or that a doctor may only practice under the supervision of another senior person. So there's a range of outcomes that can be tailored to the specific facts of the case. The national law is very clear that if immediate action is taken, APRA must continue to investigate the matter and update the doctor as to what is happening at regular intervals. So there's a substantive investigation going on in the background if immediate action is taken. And one of the options that can happen during that investigation process is that they can be referred for a health assessment. What does that involve? So if the medical board decides that an independent health assessor should meet with a doctor, that process requires the doctor to attend the rooms of the independent assessor. It's not designed to be a judgment. It's designed to inform the board, does this doctor pose a risk to the public? If they do, what steps or recommendations would you make to the board about restrictions that could be put in place to allow the doctor to keep working, but to have that necessary oversight for the board? And then what's the next step after that, potentially? As the medical board considers all of the information that APRA have gathered during its investigation, including the independent health assessment report, the meeting with the medical board member, and if it decides some type of regulatory action is reasonable, it must propose that action to the member and allow him or her to make submissions as to whether they agree or disagree with that proposed action. After all of that, the board can put conditions on a practitioner's practice. What sort of conditions might they be? These conditions are designed to be more longer term and I guess sustainable versus your immediate action need to take maybe more drastic action. These conditions are the minimum that's required to protect the public. So it might range from every three months we'll get a report from your treating doctor It might be that you have to undertake drug, hair, urine testing. It might be that you have to provide regular reports from your supervisor. We talked before about the immediate action hearing that can take place and then the substantive investigation and then the possibility of conditions being placed on a practitioner's practice. How long can that whole process take? I always tell doctors prepare themselves. It'll be a matter of months and weeks. Each length of investigation depends on the circumstances but on average I would say somewhere between 10 to 12 months for it to conclude. So it is a long time and it can be sooner if it's relatively straightforward versus longer if there's some complexities about it. 
So what does go on their register if there are health conditions on their practice? Yeah, so I guess there's two separate databases if there are health conditions. One is your internal APRA file, if you like, about a doctor and their registration history and regulatory investigations. That stays within APRA. If the board do take action related to health, the general principle is those conditions will not be published in order to protect a doctor's privacy. So, for example, if a doctor is suspended or requires drug and alcohol monitoring or doctor reports to be provided, if you went to that doctor's public registration entry on APRA, all you would see is that this doctor is subject to conditions that are, cannot be published in order to protect their privacy or wording like that. And I think that's a really important protection for doctors mm. to have. It's not really fair for their private and sensitive health information to be made publicly available. No, that's right. And having said that, though, I would encourage doctors, if there's a trusted person in their workplace, a senior person, to have a really honest, and I appreciate it's a very uncomfortable conversation, but generally speaking, APRA will notify your employer of any conditions that are taken, including health conditions. So I think it's much better for an employer to be told about that by the doctor in person rather than receiving a letter from APRA out of the blue. And in my experience, based upon what my members have told me with health conditions, employers are incredibly sympathetic and will do what they can to help members. So, Caroline, I think that brings us to the end of our discussion. So what are the key messages that you would like our members to hear? I think the key thing, Georgie, is for our members to know that you're not alone. We don't want anyone to go through the experience that James went through of feeling alone. Avant has the resources that we will mobilise to support you. And by just making that first phone call to us, we can really help you with your medical career. And even though you might be unwell at this stage, it won't be forever. There are lots of resources on the Avant Learning Centre that you have access to. And in relation to a mandatory reporting, I also recommend that you review the APRA guidelines, which are available from the APRA website. So thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thank you.